Chapter 3 Naaman God's Methods Let us look at one who was a great and honorable man in his own country, one whom the king delighted to honor. Naaman ranked high in position as captain of the host of the king of Syria, but he was a leper, and that threw a cloud over his whole life. As Bishop Hall quaintly put it, the lowest slave in Syria would not have changed skins with him. You cannot have a better type of a sinner than Naaman was. I don't care who or what he is or what position he holds, all people alike have sinned. All have sinned and are made destitute of the glory of God, Romans chapter 3 verse 23. All have to bear the same burden of death, for the wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6 verse 23. All people must stand in judgment before God. What a gloom that throws over our whole life. But he was a leper, 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1. There was no physician in Syria who could help him. None of the eminent doctors in Damascus could do him any good. If he was to be cured of the leprosy, the power would have to come from on high. It had to be someone unknown to Naaman, for he did not know God. But they had something else in Syria. They had one of God's children there. She was a little girl, a simple captive maid who waited on Mrs. Naaman. Naaman knew nothing about this little Israelite even though she was one of his household. I can imagine that one day, as she was waiting on the general's wife, she noticed Naaman's wife weeping. The heart of the little maid was breaking because of the dark cloud that rested over the home, so she told her mistress that there was a prophet in her country who could cure her master of his leprosy. She said, If my lord would ask the prophet that is in Samaria, he would remove his leprosy. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 3 Now there is faith for you. She boasted of God that he would do more for the heathen Naaman than he had done for any in Israel, and God honored her faith. Naaman's wife might have said to the young maid, What, a prophet in Israel who can cure leprosy? Yes. Do you know of anyone who was ever cured? No. Well, then what makes you think there is a prophet who can cure leprosy? Oh, that is nothing compared to what Elisha can do. A little boy lived near us who died, and Elisha raised him to life. He has done many wonderful things. She must have had a reputation for truthfulness, for if she hadn't, her testimony would not have been taken seriously. Someone told the general, and he made it known to the king. Naaman was highly respected by the king, for he had recently won a great victory. He stood near the throne. So the king said, you had better go down to Samaria to see if this is true. I will give you letters of introduction to the king of Israel. Yes, he would give Naaman letters of introduction to the king. That's how people work. The thought was that if anybody could help him, it would be the king, and the king had power both with God and man. Oh, my friends, it is much better to know a man who knows God. A man acquainted with God has more power than any earthly ruler. Gold can't do everything. Away went Naaman down to Samaria with his kingly introduction. What a stir it must have made when the commander of the Syrian army drove up. Naaman had brought with him much gold and silver. That is man's idea again. He was going to pay for a great doctor, and he took about $500,000 to pay for the doctor's bill. Many men would willingly pay that much money if they could buy the favor of God and get rid of the curse of sin. Yes, if money could do it, many would buy salvation. But thank God that salvation is not for sale. 
we must buy it at God's price, and that is, without money and without price. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. Naaman found that out. My dear friends, did you ever ask yourselves which is worse, the leprosy of sin or the leprosy of the body? For my own part, I would a thousand times rather have the leprosy of the body eating into my eyes and feet and arms. I would rather be loathsome in the sight of my fellow men than die with the leprosy of sin in my soul and be banished from God forever. The leprosy of the body is bad, but the leprosy of sin is incalculably worse. It has cast angels out of heaven. It has ruined the best and strongest men who ever lived in the world. Oh, how it has pulled people down! The leprosy of the body could not do that. There is one thing that I particularly like about Naaman, and that is his earnestness of purpose. He was thoroughly intense and sincere. He was quite willing to go 150 miles and take the advice of this little maid. Many people say, Oh, I don't like such and such a minister. I would like to know where he comes from and what he has done, and whether any bishop has laid his hands on his head. My dear friends, never mind the minister. It is the message you need. If someone were to send me a message and the news was important, I wouldn't stop to ask about the messenger who brought it. I would want to read the news. I would look at the message and not at the one who brought it. So it is with God's message. The good news is everything, but the minister is nothing. The Syrians looked down with contempt on the Israelites, yet this great man was willing to take the good news at the hands of this little maiden and listen to the words that fell from her lips. If I got lost in New York City, I would be willing to ask anybody which way to go, even if it were only a shoeshine boy. In fact, a boy's word in such a case is often better than a man's word. It is the way to where I am going that I want, not the person who directs me. There was one drawback in Naaman's case. Though he was willing to take the advice of the little girl, he was not willing to take the remedy. The stumbling block of pride stood in his way. The remedy the prophet offered him was a terrible blow to his pride. I have no doubt he expected a grand reception from the king of Israel, to whom he brought letters of introduction. He had been victorious on many battlefields and held a high rank in the army. Perhaps we could call him Major General Naaman of Syria, or he might have been even higher in rank than that. Bringing with him kingly credentials, he no doubt expected a distinguished reception, but instead of the king rushing out to meet him, when he heard of Naaman's arrival and purpose, he simply tore his clothes and asked, Am I God to kill and to give life, that this man sends unto me to remove the leprosy of this man? Therefore now consider and see how he seeks a quarrel against me. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7 Elisha heard of the king's trouble and sent him a message, saying, Why hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 8 I can imagine Naaman's pride reasoning like this. Surely the prophet will feel very exalted and flattered that I, the great Syrian general, would come and call upon him. So, probably full of those proud thoughts, he drove up to the prophet's humble dwelling with his chariot and his splendid attire. Yes, Naaman drove up in grand style to the prophet's abode, and when nobody seemed to be coming out to greet him, he sent in his message. Tell the prophet that Major General Naaman of Syria has arrived and wishes to see him. Elisha took it very calmly. He did not come out to see Naaman, but as soon as he heard of Naaman's errand, 
he sent his servant to tell him to dip seven times in the Jordan River, and he would be clean. That was a terrible blow to Naaman's pride. I can imagine he might have said to his servant, What did you say? Did I understand you correctly? Dip seven times in the Jordan? Why, we call the Jordan River a ditch in our country. But the only answer he got was that the prophet says, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall be restored, and thou shalt be clean. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10 I can imagine Naaman's indignation as he asks, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 12 He might have thought, Haven't I bathed myself hundreds of times and has it helped me? Can water wash away leprosy? So he turned and went away in a rage. It isn't a bad sign when a man gets mad if you tell him the truth. Some people are afraid of getting other people mad. I have known wives afraid to talk to their husbands, afraid of getting them mad. I have known mothers who were afraid to talk to their sons because they were afraid they would get mad. Don't be afraid of making them mad if the truth is what makes them mad. If our foolishness makes them mad, then we have reason to mourn over it. If the truth makes someone angry, God sent it, and it is much better to have someone get angry than it is to have him go to sleep. I think the trouble with many people today is that they are sound asleep. It is much better to awaken them, even if they do wake up mad. The fact was that the Jordan never had any great reputation as a river. It flowed into the Dead Sea, and that sea never had a harbor to it. Its banks were not half as beautiful as those of the rivers of Damascus. Damascus was one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Naaman turned away in a rage. Ah, he said, here am I a great conqueror, a successful general on the battlefield, holding the very highest rank in the army, and yet this prophet does not even come out to meet me. He simply sends a message. I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and remove the leprosy. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11. There it is. I hardly ever knew a man who, when talked to about his sins, didn't say, Yes, but I thought so and so. Mr. Moody, they say, I will tell you what I think. I will tell you my opinion. In the 55th chapter of Isaiah, God says, For my thoughts are not as your thoughts, neither are your ways as my ways, saith the Lord. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. So it was with Naaman. In the first place, he thought a good big doctor's fee would take care of it and settle everything up. Besides that, he also thought that going to the king with his letters of introduction would do it. Yes, those were Naaman's first thoughts. I thought. Exactly so. He turned away in rage and disappointment. He thought the prophet would have come out to him very humble and obedient and ask him to do some great thing. Instead of that, Elisha, who was perhaps busy writing, did not even come to the door or the window. He merely sent out the message, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10. And away went Naaman, saying, I thought, I thought, I thought. I have heard that story so often that I am tired of it. Give it up and take God's words, God's thoughts, and God's ways. I never yet knew a man who was converted in the time and manner he expected to be. I have heard people say, well, if I am ever converted, it won't be in a Methodist church. You won't catch me there. 
I never knew anyone say that, but if converted at all, it was in a Methodist church. In Scotland, a man, an employer, was converted at one of our meetings. He was very concerned that all his employees should be reached, and he sent them one by one to the meetings. There was one man, though, who wouldn't go. We are all more or less troubled with stubbornness, and the moment this man found out that his employer wanted him to go to the meetings, he made up his mind he wouldn't go. If he was going to be converted, he said, he was going to be converted by some ordained minister. He was not going to any meeting that was conducted by Americans who were not ordained. He believed in conversion, but he was going to be converted the regular way. He believed in the regular Presbyterian Church of Scotland, and that was the place for him to be converted. The employer tried every way he could to get him to attend the meetings, but he wouldn't go. After we left that town and went up to Inverness, the employer had some business up there, and he sent this employee to take care of that business, hoping that he would attend some of our meetings. One night, as I was preaching on the banks of a river, I happened to take this for my text. I thought, I thought. I was trying to address people's thoughts and show the difference between their thoughts and God's thoughts. This man happened to be walking along the banks of the river. He saw a large crowd and heard someone talking. He wondered what that man was talking about. He didn't know who was there, so he approached the crowd and listened. He heard the sermon and became convicted and converted right there. Then he inquired who the preacher was, and he found out it was the very man he said he would not listen to, the man he disliked. The very man he had been talking against was the very man God used to convert him. While Naaman was thus wavering in his mind and thinking about what to do, one of his servants drew near and made a very sensible remark. My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, would thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13 There is a great deal of truth in that. If Elisha had told him to go back to Syria on his hands and knees, 150 miles, he would have done it and thought it was all right. If he had told him to go into some cave and stay there a year or two, he would have done it and thought it was all right. If he had told him it was necessary to have some surgery performed along with much accompanying pain, that would have suited him. People like to have something to do about their salvation. They don't like to give up the idea that they can't do anything and that God must do it all. If you tell them to take bitter herbs every morning and every night for the next five years, they think that's all right. If Elisha had told Naaman to do that, he would have done it. But to tell him merely to dip in the Jordan River seven times seemed absurd. But this servant suggested to him that he had better go down to the Jordan and try the remedy, as it was a very simple one. Now don't you see yourselves there? How many people wait for some great thing? They wait for some sudden feeling to come gliding over them, or they wait for some shock to come upon them. That is not what the Lord wants. There is a man whom I have talked to about his soul for a number of years, and the last time I talked with him, he said, Well, the thing hasn't struck me yet. I said, What? Well, he said, the thing hasn't struck me yet. Struck you? What do you mean? Well, he said, I go to church and I hear you preach and I hear other men preach, but the thing hasn't struck me yet. It strikes some people, but it hasn't struck me yet. That was all that I could get out of him. Many people reason in that way. 
They have heard some young converts tell how light dawned upon them like the flash of a meteor, or how they experienced a new sensation, so they are waiting for something like that. But you can't find any place in Scripture where you are told to wait for anything of the kind. You are just to obey what God tells you to do and let your feelings take care of themselves. I can't control my feelings. I can't make myself feel good or bad when I want to, but I can obey God. God gives me the power. He doesn't command me to do something without giving me the power to do it. With the command comes the power. Naaman could do what the prophet told him. He could go down to the Jordan and dip seven times and that is what the Lord had for him to do. If we are going to get into the kingdom of God, then right at the threshold of that kingdom, we have to learn this doctrine of obedience, to do whatever he tells us. I can imagine Naaman still reluctant to believe it, saying, If there is such cleansing power in the waters of Jordan, why wouldn't every leper in Israel go down and dip in them and be healed? Well, the servant might have urged, now that you have come a hundred and fifty miles, don't you think you should do what he told you? After all, you can at least try it. He sent word distinctly, my lord, that your flesh will again become like that of a little child. Naaman in time accepted his servant's recommendation. His anger was cooling down and he was over the first rush of his indignation. He said, well, I might as well try it. That was the starting point of his faith. Although he still thought it was a foolish idea to dip in the Jordan River, and he could not bring himself to believe that he would be healed by following the prophet's instructions. At last, however, Naaman's will was conquered, and he surrendered. When General Grant besieged a town that was a stronghold of the Southern Confederacy, some of the officers sent word that they would leave the city if he would let them go with their men. General Grant replied, No, nothing but an unconditional surrender. Then they sent word that they would go if he would let them take their flag with them. But the answer was, no, an unconditional surrender. At last, General Grant and his men broke down the walls and entered the city, and then the enemy made a complete and unconditional surrender. That is how it was with Naaman. He got to the point where he was willing to obey, and God prefers obedience over sacrifice. The Bible tells us that to hear is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. God wants obedience, and Naaman had to learn this lesson. There was probably no virtue in going down to the Jordan other than in obeying the voice of God. Naaman had to obey the word, and in the very act of obedience, he was blessed. Look at those ten New Testament lepers who came to Christ. He said to them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. Luke chapter 17, verse 14. Well, they might have said, what good is that going to do us? Here we are, all full of leprosy, and if we go and show ourselves to the priests, they will order us back again into exile. That is not going to help us. But those ten men started off and did just what the Lord Jesus Christ told them to do, and in the very act of doing it, they were blessed. Their leprosy left them. Jesus said to the man who had the palsy, whose friends brought him upon a bed to Jesus, Take up thy bed and walk. John chapter 5 verse 8. The man could have said, Lord, I have been trying for years to take up that bed, but I can't. I don't have the power. I have been shaking with the palsy for the last ten years. Do you think that I would have been brought here and let down through the roof if I could have rolled up that bed? I don't have the power. But when the Lord commanded him, 
he gave him the power. Power came with the command, and that man stood up, rolled up his bed, and started for home. He was blessed in the very act of obedience. My friends, if you want God to bless you, obey Him. Do whatever He calls upon you to do, and then see if He will not bless you. Christ went to the synagogue one day. The Pharisees wanted to get Him to do something to break the law of Moses so they could condemn Him to death. There was a man there with a withered hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath, to see if He would heal on that day. Jesus said to the man, Stretch forth thine hand. Matthew chapter 12, verse 13. The man could have said, Lord, that is a very strange command. I don't have the power. That hand has been withered for twenty years. I haven't stretched it out for the last twenty years, and you say stretch it out? But when Jesus told him to do it, he also gave him the power, and out went that old withered hand, and before it came out straight, right in the act of stretching, the hand was made whole. He was blessed in the very act of obedience. Naaman had to be taught the lesson that he had to obey, so he finally went down to the Jordan as he was told to do. If you will do what the Lord tells you, the Lord will bless you as he did Naaman. You may ask, what does he tell me? He says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts chapter 16 verse 31. The word of God to Naaman was to go and wash. The word of God to every soul out of Christ is to believe on his Son. Scripture, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believes him that sent me has eternal life, and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. John chapter 5 verse 24. If you believe with all your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ, God will never bring you to judgment for sin. That is all past. That is all gone. Take him at his word. Believe him. Believe what he says, and you will enter into life eternal. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John chapter 1 verse 11. Notice that you are to take him. Not a dogma, not a creed, not a myth, but a person. Scripture. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God. John chapter 1 verses 11 through 12. That is the way you get the power. Naaman went down to the river and took the first dip. I can imagine him looking at himself when he came up and saying to his servant, There, there I am, no better than I was when I went in. If one-seventh of the leprosy was gone, I would be content. Maybe the servant said, The man of God told you to dip seven times. Do as he told you. There is no partial obedience to God's word. Well, down he went a second time, and he came up puffing and blowing as much a leper as ever, but he went down again and again, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth time, with the same result, as much a leper as ever. Some of the people standing on the banks of the river might have said, as they certainly would in our day, that man has gone clear out of his mind. When he came up the sixth time, he looked at himself and said, No better. What a fool I have made of myself. How they will all laugh at me. I wouldn't want the generals and aristocracy of Damascus to know that I have been dipping in the Jordan for all the world. However, since I have gone so far, I'll make the seventh plunge. He had not altogether lost faith. Down he went the seventh time and came up again. 
he looked at himself and shouted aloud for joy. I am well. My leprosy is all gone, all gone. My flesh is restored like that of a little child. If one speck of leprosy had remained, it would have been a reflection on God. If we could have asked Naaman how he felt, he might have said, How do I feel? This is the happiest day of my life. I thought that day when I won a great victory upon the battlefield was the most joyful day of my life. I thought I would never be so happy again, but that wasn't anything compared with this hour. My leprosy is all gone. I am whole. I am cleansed. Naaman first lost his temper, then he lost his pride, and then he lost his leprosy. That is generally the order in which proud, rebellious sinners are converted. He came up out of the Jordan, put on his clothes, and went back to see the prophet. He was mad with Elisha in the beginning, but when he was cleansed, his anger was all gone too. Naaman wanted to pay Elisha. Naaman wanted to give money for his cure. People want to do the same thing today. It would have spoiled the story of grace if the prophet had taken anything. The Lord doesn't charge anything to save you. Salvation is without money and without price. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. The prophet Elisha refused to take anything, and I can imagine no one rejoiced more than he did. Naaman headed back to Damascus, a very different man than he was when he had left it. The dark cloud was gone from his mind. He was no longer a leper in fear of dying from a loathsome disease. He lost the leprosy in the Jordan when he did what the man of God told him to do. If you obey the voice of God, even at this very moment, the burden of your sins will fall from you and you will be cleansed. It is all done through faith and obedience. Let us see what Naaman's faith led him to believe. Scripture And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing from thy slave. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 15 Particularly, pay attention to the words, I know. There is no hesitation about it and no qualifying the expression. Naaman doesn't say, I think. He says, I know there is a God who has power to cleanse the leprosy. Here is another thought. Naaman left only one thing in Samaria, and that was his leprosy. The only thing God wants you to leave with him is your sin. Yet it is the only thing you seem not to care about giving up. Oh, you say, I love leprosy. It is so delightful I can't give it up. I know God wants it so that He can make me clean, but I can't give it up. What downright craziness it is for you to love leprosy, and yet that is your condition. Well, says someone, I don't believe in sudden conversions. Don't you? How long did it take Naaman to be cured? The seventh time he went down, away went the leprosy. Read the great conversions recorded in the Bible, Saul of Tarsus, Zacchaeus, and a host of others. How long did it take the Lord to transform them? They were changed in a minute. We are born in iniquity, shaped in it, dead in trespasses and sins, but when spiritual life comes, it comes in a moment, and we are free from both sin and death. When Naaman got home, I am sure there was no little commotion in his house. I can see his wife, Mrs. Naaman, who had probably been watching and looking out of the window for him with a great burden on her heart. Well, husband, how is it? she asked. 
I can see the tears running down his cheeks as he answered, Thank God I am well. They embrace each other and pour out mutual expressions of joy and gladness. The servants are just as glad as their master and mistress, as they have been waiting eagerly for the news. There was never a happier household than Naaman's was after he was rid of the leprosy. And so, my friends, it will be the same with your households when you get rid of the leprosy of sin today. Not only will there be joy in your hearts and homes, but there will also be joy among the saints in heaven. Once, as I was walking down the street, I heard some people laughing and talking loudly. One of them said, Well, there will be no difference. It will be all the same a hundred years from now. The thought flashed across my mind. Will there be no difference? Where will you be a hundred years from now? Young man, ask yourself this question. Where will I be? Some of you who are getting on in years may be in eternity ten years from now. Where will you be? On the left or on the right hand of God? I cannot answer for you, but I must answer for myself. I ask you, where will you spend eternity? Where will you be a hundred years from now? I once heard of a man who went to England from mainland Europe and brought letters with him from the emperor addressed to prominent physicians. The letters said, This man is a personal friend of mine, and we are afraid he is going to lose his mental capabilities. Do all you can for him. The doctor asked him if he had lost any dear friend in his own country, or any position of importance, or what it was that was weighing on his mind. The young man said, No, but my father and grandfather and myself were brought up as unbelievers, and for the last two or three years this thought has been haunting me. Where will I spend eternity? And the thought of it follows me day and night. The doctor said, You have come to the wrong physician, but I will tell you of one who can cure you. He told him about Christ, and read to him the fifty-third chapter of Isaiah. Scripture He was wounded for our rebellions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes healing was provided for us. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 The young man asked, Doctor, do you believe that? The doctor told him he did, and he prayed and wrestled with the young man. At last, the clear light of Calvary shone on his soul. At last, he had settled the question in his own mind of where he would spend eternity. I ask you, sinner, to settle it now. It is for you to decide. Will it be with the saints, martyrs, and prophets, or in the dark caverns of hell, surrounded by misery and darkness forever? Make haste to be wise, for how shall we escape if we belittle such great saving health? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. At our church in Chicago, as I was closing the meeting one day, a young soldier got up and begged the people to decide for Christ at once. He said he had just come from a dark scene. A friend of his, who had enlisted with him, had a father who was always urging him to become a Christian. The friend always replied that he would when the war was over. Well, he was wounded and was put into the hospital, but he got worse and was gradually sinking near to death. One day, a few hours before he died, a letter came from his sister, but he was too weak to read it. Oh, it was such an earnest letter. The young soldier read it to him, but the dying man did not seem to understand it, as he was so weak, until he came to the last sentence which said, Oh, my dear brother, when you get this letter, will you not accept your sister's Savior? The dying man sprang up from his cot and said, 
What do you say? What do you say? And then falling back on his pillow, he feebly exclaimed, It is too late. It is too late. My dear friends, thank God it is not too late for you today. The Master is still calling you. Let every one of us, young and old, rich and poor, come to Christ at once, and He will put all our sins away. Don't wait any longer for feelings, but obey at once. You can believe, you can trust, you can lay hold on eternal life if you will. Will you not do it now?